So, good morning. <laughs> it's me again. So, did you guys have a good Christmas? Yeah? I had a bit of an unusual Christmas. I had a really high-risk Christmas this Christmas because we invited my son's wife's family, if that can go down that route, to join us over the Christmas holidays. But this was the first time we'd met them since the only other time we met them, which was at his wedding. So it was a high-risk venture on kind of both sides. You know, is this going to work? Are we ever going to do this again? Are we going to wish we didn't do You know, it was one of those things. They were here in the first service, and I have to say, we had a fabulous time together. They've just left, so they've just gone now. They're heading back down further south where the weather is warmer and the sun is shining and stuff like that. Um, and we're back up in the north. But what they did do, though, was they left me with a symbol of our culture, this was my wedding, my wedding, my Christmas gift that I, I am wearing. They said I needed to be more culturally appropriate in New England, so the plaid shirt was the Christmas gift this year, okay? So I'm wearing it in honor of the Northeast, okay, of New England this morning. But you know, when I get home today, it's going to be quiet. Yeah, we've had a lot of folk around, all the jollity and everything. So many great memories of the past few days. But it's also in that quiet, that time between Christmas and New Year when we ponder, what's 2020 going to be like? What's it going to bring? Is it going to be full of uncertainty, fear, worry, about finances, about our health, about jobs, family? Or is it going to be filled with excitement about the opportunities that are ahead? Luke begins his gospel with a fascinating, and if you stop and think about it, a pretty incredible story. It's the story about what theologians call the incarnation, the unplanned pregnancies of two rural Jewish women, one elderly and barren, the other an unmarried teenager called Mary, who would conceive the Messiah. This morning, I would like us to consider how Mary's response in this story might help us as we think about how we might respond to what 2020 brings. One of the challenges of this story is that because we know it so well, we can miss out just how incredible it is. But this is the story of the kingdom of God crashing into the kingdom of this world. As N.T. Wright puts it, it's the story of the day the revolution began. I'm going to read a part of it in a moment. But as I do, I'd like to ask you to try to listen to it as if it was the first time you were hearing it. Let the wonder and the challenge of these words sink in as you listen to it. If you've got your Bibles with you, please turn to Luke chapter 1, verse 26, and we'll also have it up on the screen. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. 
And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and, give be- and, and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the throne of Jacob forever, and his kingdom, of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth, who was filled with the Holy Spirit, exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. And he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these incredible words about an incredible act that you did on our behalf. Lord, that you came to us, the King of kings and Lord of lords, stepped down into our lives and became one of us. God, what an amazing thing. What a wonderful God. What amazing words, Lord. And I pray that you would speak to us through these words today. In Jesus' name, amen. Were you able to imagine what you would have thought and felt if you were hearing these words for the first time? What an incredibly unlikely story. What a challenge to our concept of God 
that he would enter human history by being conceived in a woman's womb. That the creator of the universe introduced mankind to his kingdom by entering our world through an unmarried teenager from an obscure village in a remote backwater land. And if it's hard for us to take that in, imagine what it must have been like for Mary. We read the story with the benefit of hindsight. We know how it ends. But for Mary... This was happening in real time. Imagine how she must have felt when the angel appeared with this shocking news. First, there was Gabriel himself. Now, we don't know what Gabriel looked like, but that image of a fairy with wings certainly was nothing like Gabriel. This was a supernatural being, a powerful warrior who appeared before her. And she was already shaken up and in fear before he even brought the message that he was delivering from God. And then there was the enormity of that message itself. Mary was going to become pregnant with the Messiah. And this was going to happen supernaturally without the help of a husband. How was she going to explain that to her family? Or in her community, let alone to Joseph, her fiancé. Charles Spurgeon captured something of the dilemma facing Mary. He said, the visitation of the angel and all its consequences would seem to be ridiculous and even impossible to many whom she might venture to mention the circumstances. No, more than that would subject her to many cruel insinuations which would scandalize her character. And that which conferred upon her the highest honor that ever fell to a woman would in the judgment of many bring upon her the greatest possible dishonor. But as we read, Mary didn't respond as we might have expected. Rather than freaking out or collapsing in fear, Mary rushed over to her cousin Elizabeth, whose own miraculous pregnancy confirmed Gabriel's words. Mary then burst into this incredible song of praise, which we know as the Magnificat. Let's listen to it again as Bev reads it to us now. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts in the thoughts of their hearts, and has brought down the mighty from their thrones, and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Thanks, Bev. What 
a response. It's no wonder these verses have been used time and again over the centuries as the foundation for some of the most beautiful worship music that has ever been composed. What an amazing woman Mary must have been. This was a pregnant, unmarried teenager, a nobody in the eyes of her culture. Yet through her song, she made a clear prophetic declaration of what was to come through her son, and Savior, the Messiah. These are incredibly, incredible words, deep, theologically poignant words, steeped in Old Testament promises. Bible scholar and author Craig Evans said of them, Mary's song breaks all the stereotypes of her as a young, self-absorbed mother, too naive to know about the political climate around her and too centered on her pregnancy to care. Here, Mary speaks in the highest Old Testament prophetic voice, echoing all the great Old Testament themes of redemption, freedom, and justice. She was a revolutionary for her time and probably for this time too. She exhibited a large vision of God, a sense of God's grand purpose and the heart of God for the oppressed people. This is a very strong message of resolute faith in a God who wills to act in a sinful world to save it and to redeem it. Mary was powerfully declaring the coming kingdom of God she was no superficial teenager. She must have spent considerable time investing her life and her time in the Old Testament scriptures, in the scriptures that would have been the scriptures of her day. Her words were then quickened by the Holy Spirit to deliver what we've received. And if I might make an aside here for a moment, I love the fact that we have had 15 young women in our church spend several years over the last couple of years studying theology in our trilogy program. Your dedication, your investment is a wonderful thing. And I want to encourage you, young women and men, to continue to root yourselves in God's word. Let it become a strong foundation in your lives. In a few short sentences, Mary captured the essence of the coming kingdom and laid a foundation for the work of her son. A work that Isaiah had prophesied more than 600 years earlier. And Jesus himself would declare at the beginning of his ministry as the kingdom of God being fulfilled in himself. The anointed savior bringing redemption, freedom, and justice. The Magnificat presents a beautiful picture of the coming kingdom of God invading our world. And this morning, I'd like to spend a few moments just looking at some aspects of Mary's response to that coming kingdom that I hope might help us as we look forward to this coming year. Firstly, humility. Mary did not disguise where she'd come from. She recognized just how lowly her status in her culture was. In the eyes of the world of her time, she was a nobody, 
a poor, obscure, insignificant teenager with little purpose or meaning in her life. Commentators believe that the wording used here, the low estate of his handmaiden, suggests that she was considered the least even in her own household. In choosing a nobody to carry his son, God demonstrated that nobody is beyond his reach and care. Indeed, as Paul told the Corinthians, it's actually more difficult for the somebodies to come to God. God chose the weak and the foolish in the world to shame the wise and the strong. He chose the low and despised so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. The only way we can come to God is empty-handed. We need to recognize that we have nothing of value to bring to God. If we think we do, that's just pride working in our hearts. And as I said a few weeks ago, when pride raises its ugly head, the only thing we can do to deal with it is to cut it off. In the kingdom of God, it is the truly humble who are lifted up. No matter how low how nothing we may feel we are, God cares and will reach out to us. He takes us by the hand, he lifts us up, and he gives us his purpose, his meaning in our life, and his significance. Speaking of how God operates in this way, John Piper said, Mary sees a most remarkable thing about God. He is about to change the course of human history. The most important three decades in all of time are about to begin. And where is God? Occupying himself with two obscure, humble women. One old and barren, one young and virginal. Mary and Elizabeth are wonderful heroines in Luke's account. God takes the humble and makes them the heroes. God makes us who are nobodies into his somebodies. Mary's song points to a coming kingdom unlike anything the world had ever seen. This kingdom revealed in her son Jesus describes the world as it should be. And it's totally different from what the world was looking for. The arrival of the kingdom of God did not come to reverse Israel's natural fortunes. It came to do a much deeper work, to work in the hearts of men and women, in the hearts of anyone that will humble themselves and turn to Jesus, to bring forgiveness, hope, and life. Michelle Lee Barnwell put it like this, the kingdom Jesus announced did not bring about the transformation of Israel's fortunes as expected. Instead, the kingdom is characterized by a reversal of the existing order as the eschatological blessings are given to the ones least expected to receive them. The poor, the hungry, the outcast, the sinners, the Gentiles. And woe falls on the rich and the religious leaders. This is the great reversal in which the present order and its rule of prestige and privilege are questioned and values are transformed. This message is for everyone, 
No one is excluded. In fact, those the world despises and has given up on are actually the ones who are most blessed by it. Mary prophesies that the poor and the hungry will be filled, a theme that Jesus constantly returns to and reinforces in his ministry. The losers win. In fact, we can only win by losing, by laying down our lives that we might find true life in him. So please, don't discount yourself this morning. As you look at 2020, don't exclude yourself from his kingdom blessings, but come humbly to him. It doesn't matter where you have come from, how you got here, what you have done. You qualify. He will receive you. And don't discount others either. However despised or bad you may think they are. In fact, let's continue to open wide the arms of our church to the broken and the lost. Let's keep on inviting them to meet our King and Savior. Secondly, Mary's response to Gabriel's visit was full of faith. Let it be unto me according to your word. What remarkable words of faith and acceptance. She unhesitatingly accepted his words without question. She knew that with God, all things are possible. And she had his promise delivered by his angel, and this was enough for her. A little earlier, I quoted Spurgeon explaining the dilemma that Mary faced on hearing Gabriel's words. But I didn't share Spurgeon's explanation of her response to that dilemma. He recognized that it was Mary's faith that sustained her. He said, it was only her matchless faith that she should be the mother of the holy child Jesus that sustained her. Truly blessed was she in believing that, and blessed indeed was she in that even before there was an accomplishment of the things that were told to her by the angel, she could sing, my soul does magnify the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Unbelief would have said, wait. Fear would have said, be silent. But faith could not wait and could not be silent. She must sing and sing she did. So Mary broke into this song of praise to God. Her trust in God's words conveyed by his servant Gabriel inspired and sustained her against all she would face in her culture as an unmarried mother who claimed to be carrying the savior of the world in her womb. And that same gift of faith is available to us today. When the kingdom of God breaks into our lives, when we put our trust in Jesus, he is faithful to respond to us. His word sustains us. His words break the chains that bind us. His words bring redemption, freedom, and justice. So as you ponder 2020, 
don't let fear or unbelief define your lives or rob you of your hopes and dreams. Put your trust in Jesus. He is with you. He is for you. He will sustain you. And recognize the faith that is activated through the words you confess. If the Magnificat was Mary's initial response to the news of the coming baby in her womb, can you imagine how as she pondered these things in her heart, as a mom, she must have prayed and confessed those words over her growing child in the years that followed? Yeah, maybe that's kind of speculation rather than exegesis, but, but imagine how as a mom... This growing child, she's heard these things. She's continuing to pray them over this growing child, over Jesus. Moms and dads here today, your faith-filled words carry tremendous power. The kingdom is at work in the words you speak and pray over the lives of your children and families. To the moms and dads here that have prayed for your children and confessed God's word over them, I want to honor your faith this morning. Thank you for the foundation you have placed in those children's lives that will bear much fruit for God. And for those of you that maybe haven't thought about doing such things, let me encourage you, make 2020 the year when you begin to confess God's word and pray that over your kids and over your families, and then watch and see what he does. Thirdly, what amazing joy we can hear in Mary's words. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Her faith in his words resulted in an overflow of joy in her heart. Mary's joy wasn't a result of the circumstances. It was because of God's promise to her. According to most reliable studies, the Western world is richer, healthier, and much better off than any previous generation in history. Yet as a society, we are more anxious, pessimistic, fearful, and depressed about the future than ever before. Three weeks ago, the Wall Street Journal published a fascinating article by Erica Commissar in which she said the U.S. is facing an unparalleled level of depression and anxiety, particularly, and think back to my previous point, among children and adolescents. The reason for this, she claimed, is that we are living in a competitive and scary, sorry, a competitive, scary, and stressful place that idealizes perfectionism, materialism, selfishness, and virtual rather than real human connection. I guess I wouldn't disagree too much with these observations. In addition to being a Wall Street Journal journalist, Commissar is a licensed therapist, and her explanation for why we are facing this condition is quite interesting. She says that it's the U.S.'s declining interest in religion, 
And she believes that this is proving disastrous for millions of vulnerable young people. Again, I'm not going to argue with that. She quotes a 2018 Harvard University study that suggests that children raised in families that regularly attend religious services scored noticeably higher um, on, on psychological well-being measurements and had a lower risk of mental illness. These children also had a higher sense of mission, forgiveness, and lower probabilities of drug use. Great stuff. But here it turns really weird. However, her suggested answer to this issue for non-believing atheist parents, if you don't believe in God, and I'm quoting, lie to your kids. Fake it. Just pretend he's real. Wow, what a sorry indictment on our society. The data demonstrates that following God makes a real positive impact on people's lives. But rather than recognizing that for what it actually means, rather than facing the truth, lie to your kids. What? And this is a psychologist. This is not a random person. What a warped way of thinking our culture comes up with to avoid the implications of encountering God. Make it up. Pretend so you can be joyful and live a better life. I guess in this world for you, faking it really is making it. Oh my goodness. The kingdom of God is so not like this. The good news of the kingdom is that we can have communion with the living God. He loves us and he sent his son that we might be reconciled to him. And all that we have to do to receive him is to turn away from that stuff that robs us of joy and life. And turn to him to receive fullness of life. What amazing news. This is the stuff of true joy. This is what Mary saw. She was carrying the Savior of the world in her womb. How could she not leap for joy? When we know we are in union with Christ, our hearts respond in the same way Mary did. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. As you think about 2020, are you going to let fear and unbelief rule? Are you going to fake it in the false hope that you might make it? Or are you going to turn your face towards Jesus and his kingdom and let his joy be your strength? even in the midst of turmoil. In fact, especially in the midst of turmoil, in a world we know is only going to get more challenging, we can experience and live in the joy of the Lord. In faith, Mary turned her heart to God, choosing to reject fear and to delight in God her Savior. If we turn to Him, He will do the same for us. And finally... God, Mary recognized God's mercy for all who call on his name, for all who would fear him. 
past, present, and future. She exclaimed, just as God spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, so he will to his offspring forever. Our God is a merciful, forgiving God, and his mercy endures and extends from generation to generation. He has shown us mercy despite the things we've done as well as the things we may do so that we can live free from fear, secure in his love and mercy. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing from our past and nothing in the future. Our lives are marked by his mercy and he delights to show that mercy, mercy that triumphs over the judgment we deserve. This means our futures are secure in him. He will do what he said he would do. What an antidote to anxiety and fear. He's got you for eternity. The blessings of his mercy are from generation to generation, from the elderly barren Elizabeth to the young teenage Mary. So as we move into 2020, let me close by taking a moment to honor the older generations here. Thank you for your enduring faith in the mercies of our God. Thank you for showing us what God's faithfulness looks like as you have proved him time and again over the years. We are standing on your shoulders. But I also have a challenge for us older folk. God's mercies endure from generation to generation. His kingdom is growing and extending. It is reaching forward to future generations. The stories of old exploits of faith should stir us for the future. Older folk here, we need you to keep running the race, but we need you to remind us of the stories of faith, the exploits that God has done over the years in your lives to stir the younger generation to believe God for the future exploits that he will do. A few weeks ago, I was in a a, a prayer meeting and um, Lissy Cooley, who... um, Lissy and her husband Henry were the founders, part of the founder team of this church. And Lissy just suddenly started talking about some of the stories of the things that she and Henry did. Now, Lissy's not old. Henry is, but Lissy's not. Um, And telling us just about the exploits of faith that they did when they moved to live in this area with nothing and how you know others just gathered around them and they just saw God miraculously moving in their lives. And I was so stirred. I was like, we need to hear those stories. We need to be passing to the younger generation. Our God is a faithful God. His mercies are from generation to generation. These exploits are the exploits we should be expecting us and you guys to be doing in the future. It was so encouraging hearing those words this morning from Adriana and Sam. There is treasure that has been hidden. Yeah, it may be dusty. It's time to dust those exploits of faith off and remind ourselves of the goodness of God that the future generations might run with it. Now, I want to give you a reminder here. We're running with you guys. 
We're going to give you a run for your money. But we want you to own this too. We want this to be yours. Because this kingdom is extending from generation to generation. And I'm going to be holding on to that baton for as long as I can. But at some time, it's time to release it that the new generation might run with it. So let's do exploits together, folk. Amen? So what will define you in 2020? Will it be anxiety, fear, unbelief? Or will you take up Mary's response to God? Will you respond to the call of his kingdom in humility, with faith and joy, living in all the goodness of his mercy? As we close this morning, let's ponder our response as we break bread together.